Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez. We have Aaron Keller here over Zoom, per usual. And then joining us today, we have Upland Game Staff Specialist, Sean Espinoza. And we have Dave Dahlgren with the, Univer or the Utah State University, almost butchered that, but I got it out, um, joining us. And we are going to be talking about grouse hunting because the season's coming up. We've been getting a lot of questions. So it's great to have both of you here. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, and, Ashley. And Dave, as I said, you're actually located in Utah, but you recently wrote this publication, you sent it to Sean, and then we saw it, and we thought a lot of it actually applied to Nevada, because it applies to all the Western states. So could you tell us a little bit about the research you did? Sure. So this research uh, for this publication was based in Utah, but uh, we also have a project in Nevada. So we're learning some stuff there and, and hope to have something similar soon for Nevada. But but from Utah, uh, what we did is we had some birds with radios on them and we were able to look at where they were moving, habitats they were using in the fall specifically. So from September to through de December and then kind of be able to help people understand if you're going to hunt them in the fall, what time of year you're there and what kind of habitats they're going to choose at those times. Uh, and just kind of help folks with their forest grouse hunting skills overall. Uh, we also had some identification stuff going on with between species and also age and sex of birds and that kind of thing. And as you said, so this is forest grouse specifically that you guys were researching? So this was, yeah, this was forest grouse, which uh, includes dusky grouse and rough grouse, but the radios were primarily on dusky grouse. Okay, and when we share this podcast, we'll share that. I'm sure a lot of people are listening, like, I want that information, so we'll be sure to sure to share the link to that with this podcast. So, Sean, um, how does that research apply to Nevada? Because we have both those grouse species here in Nevada. And we do, yeah. So we have uh, dusky grouse and we have rough grouse in Nevada. Uh, the dusky grouse are, are native populations, and the rough grouse were translocated populations mostly, but, but um, we feel that there may have been a portion of Nevada where they were endemic in, in the Jarbidge wilderness. Um, but uh, a kind of a tertiary species that we also have are sooty grouse in Nevada, and most people, at least on the western portion of the state, are familiar with those in the Sierra Nevada mountains and you know they truly are a forest grouse but they do occupy a little bit different type of habitat niche than say dusky grouse in the eastern portion of the state and the real uh, impetus for us in terms of uh, starting a project on dusky grouses is we knew very little other than some genetic work that was done 
in the past. We knew very little about how these birds use their habitats in eastern Nevada and really one of the main concerns for us is what we were looking at on some of these mountain ranges was um, uh, a loss of limber pine and a loss of white fir and subalpine fir in, in, in some portions of these mountain ranges where you know it's probably precipitation and climate related uh, could be infestations of bark beetle, drought, that type of thing that were affecting winter habitat for that species because um, they do transition to pine needles in the winter time. So we wanted to see, you know, if there was any shift in habitat or, you know, where these birds were focusing their habitat needs at different uh, seasonal times of the year. Okay. So, um, what was I going to say? I always do this. I blank out. Oh, no, I was going to say that this does come at a great time. I mean, we're recording this podcast at the end of August. And I was telling these guys before we hit record that over the last couple of weeks, I've had people text me and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm wondering what I do. Like, I want to go try this. And, you know, to people that have hunted before, you know, this is kind of a little bit different type of hunt, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's, you know, for most of the folks in, in Nevada, forest grouse is sort of an anomaly. Most people don't even think that we have forests in Nevada. And so, you know, they're used to chucker hunting, they're used to dove hunting in open country. Uh, but rough grouse and, and, for, and dusky grouse offer quite a bit of a diverse opportunity in some of our higher elevation mountain ranges. And you know, there are some little tricks on how you focus for these species uh, that can change throughout the fall, but we can talk, we can get into that in, in terms of where folks want to focus in September versus where they might want to focus in November. Yeah, and reading through that publication, you can, I mean, there's so much information that somebody want, that wants to like, kind of like get into the details of forest grouse and, and the differences between them and, and that. Just start, I mean, I, when I was reading it, I went the first page and kind of read it and the second page and read it and third page. And then I was like, I got to go back to the first page. <laughs> went back up and I started over and just the graphics that are in there are really cool to kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say dumb it down, but they're very simplified as far as like reading it. Yeah. Sure. And Dave, you did say there were some differences you did want to outline between for like our Nevada hunters who read that. Um, there were, there are a few differences between Utah and Nevada, obviously, we're two different states. So right, right. do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. I'll start by just saying uh, Nevada dusty grouse have kind of blown my mind and paradigm when it comes to dusty grouse overall. Because uh, where we study them in Utah, they're part of the Rocky Mountain Range as they go from north to south. I mean, dusky grouse go from Arizona, New Mexico border all the way up to the Yukon. Uh, across the Rockies. But out in Nevada, you're often in these isolated mountain ranges where you have, we, we call them sky islands of habitat. So they're these, you know, the forests as those mountain ranges go up. And where here in Utah, where we did that research, there's a lot more aspen and aspen conifer mix and quite uh, probably a lot more uh, mountain shrub species. In Nevada, there's a lot less aspen and a lot more mahogany uh, sagebrush mix and, and, then, and then moving up into the conifers. And so that our birds in Nevada, while we do find them around aspen, and if I was hunting them, I would certainly 
seek out the aspen pockets that are there. But uh, they're also in the mahogany and on that sagebrush aspen edge, mahogany aspen edge, and that kind of thing. Especially early in the season, that's where you're gonna you're gonna find them. So our our, our brood, so a female with their chicks, they're spending sixty plus percent of their time in the open sagebrush, or or mountain shrub communities that don't have a forest overstory. And so dusty grouse are. They can just spend a lot more, even though they're a forest grouse, they spend a lot of time out, out in the open. And so, believe me, as a hunter, that's a much easier shot <laughs> if you flush one out there than getting them <laughs> in the trees. Although we do find them in the trees as well. And, and they'll go to trees for protective cover. And often they're on that edge or close enough to that edge so they can get there if they need to. Okay, good to know. So Hunting them in the trees like that is, it's got to be one of the fastest shots that, as far as <laughs> hunting goes. I mean, you see them and they're gone. Yeah, I, I call it uh, spray and pray method of shooting. <laughs> spray and <so>. pray. <laughs> um, Sean, do you, as Aaron was saying, we, we get a ton of questions from people like, where do I go to hunt these? Um, do you want to get into the specifics of where people should be going? Um, yeah, I guess as a for general purpose, um, you know, basically dusky grouse range starts for us around the Austin area and then extends all the way to basically our, our eastern seaboard with Utah and then all the way north uh, to the Idaho state line. But the Toyabis are often kind of a popular mountain range that a lot of folks uh, head to. Um, but beyond that, you know, there are places in certainly several ranges in White Pine County, the Shell Creeks, the Egan's, uh, and then the Ruby Mountains uh, really are probably our, our, our strongholds of dusky grouse within the state. Um, you know, one thing we've seen this year, we can get into this later, but um, it seems like we have a really good production year for dusky grouse this year. So it might be time if folks are interested to really have uh, be successful at dusky grouse. This, this certainly seems like it could be the year for that. Um, city grouse extend from mostly occupy the Carson range, but there are portions of the White Mountains um, and there are actually uh, city grouse. Well, we're not sure what subspecies or species they might be uh, down in the spring range in Clark County. Uh, very few numbers there, but there are uh, an existing population of birds there as well. And our rough grouse are distributed really throughout the western portion of the, the Jarbidge Mountains through the Independence Range and Merritt Mountain in the northern portion of the state. Uh, we have dust or rough grouse in the Toyabis and then a, a population of, of rough grouse in the Santa Rosa Mountains in Humboldt County. Good information. And I want to get into some tips on what people can do when they're headed to these areas. And also, as you said, we could get back to those population numbers later on, but um, I am going to go ahead and throw it to a break. We will be right back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Nevada Wild. Get you on, long gone to get you on. 
you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking all about forest grouse hunting, which is awesome because I feel like we talk about sage grouse a lot in our state, so it's nice to switch it up, talk about forest grouse hunting, give that some attention. And the reason we decided to talk about this is not only is our season coming up, but um, Dave Dahlgren with the University Utah State University, I mix that up every time, um, with Utah State University wrote this publication on skills to have while hunting forest grouse. So Dave, one thing we didn't get back into in the very beginning is just why you even decided to write this. It sounds like you're a big grouse hunter. Does that have well, that's, that's to do with it? Yeah, that's my ulterior motive. I actually had a hard time deciding, do I give away my secrets? You know, because <laughs> we, as, we as hunters, we tend to hold it pretty tight to the vest if we, you know, if we can. But you know, we, we want, ultimately, we want more hunters and more successful hunters. That's what keeps hunters coming back and, and especially youth, you know, or, or, or new hunters, any kind of recruitment stuff. And so that was part of the impetus of this. The other is that uh, the Utah Division of Wildlife here in Utah was funding that project. And so they were funding it with uh, Pittman-Robertson dollars, which is hunter license dollars. And, and so we felt like, hey, you know, we owe them something this way to, to specifically look at the data from a hunter's standpoint and, and help people improve their hunting with this. Um, forest grouse hunting often, at least here in Utah, is a little bit, can be a little bit incidental to big game hunting where big game hunters take them as they go. But there's this up and coming group of, of people who are focusing more and more on these forest grouse and and we wanted to kind of feed that as it moves along. Nice. I'm sure there's a lot of hunters who appreciate that you did give up some of your secrets and you put this out there because it's really good information. Well, thank you. It it's these are some of the funner things I do. There's other yeah. things that are more boring and statistical and all that kind of, but this is this was fun. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it and I'm glad you shared it with us here in Nevada too. So, and then um, Aaron, were you going to say something? Yeah, for me, um, I was telling Dave that I appreciate that he actually wrote it in English, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of terms that I understand that if, if we were drinking a cold beverage, you know, this is how he would explain it to me. And there's some pretty funny sentences in there. Well, I think they're pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so, and, you, and you can thank my, I have two grad students who helped me author it and you can thank them for some of that more straightforward talk. So, yeah. yeah right on. And, and some questions that I always get on the phone or, or out in the field or we go out, we go hunting for these birds and, you know, somebody harvests one, but they don't know what sex it is. Um, and sometimes they don't even know if it's a rough grouse or a blue grouse. Uh, so I think that this publication really helps folks to know what they have in hand. And beyond that, I mean, if they're interested, they can get to a gender level just with some, some simple tricks of uh, certain feather characteristics and you know how to handle the bird in hand and tell 
okay, do I have a male or a female of, of whatever species? So I think from that aspect, the, the publication is pretty valuable in that way too. Exactly, I definitely we, agree. So we, we had some debate whether to include that, the wing characteristics and some of that more detailed biological stuff, something that we as biologists are really interested in because we can classify and, and get to ratios and all that kind of thing. But what I'm finding from uh, some of these hunters, especially this new generation of upland game hunters, they want to know that. They want to know what they're uh, potentially taking out of the population. They want to know exactly what they have in hand. And, and to me, that's really cool, like that, that we're becoming more aware of what we're doing out there and, and potentially impact that we might have or that kind of thing. And so that was some of the, some of the reasons why we, we kept that in there. Yeah. I, I think it's great information. And I know guys, my friends that, that hunt birds will, will nerd out on that for sure. And yeah. just, just like you said, it's not necessarily they're going to pick and choose their shots and things like that. But once they get a bird in hand, it's right. great information. Right. Right. My, my brothers that I hunt with, they always roll their eyes as soon as the birds come in because I got to look at each one and <laughs> go over them all and see what, who killed the hen? Who killed the hen? Come on, you know that kind of thing. But, but that's all in fun. But yeah, I, I nerd out real quick. So, I think it's good to have someone out there who's like that. <laughs> they're, they're learning a lot. Uh, yeah, they didn't get to those spots by accident, your brothers, right? Oh, I'm I'm the bird dog that when it comes to spots. <laughs> <Yeah. believe me. laughs> So Sean, in order to help people get a bird in hand to identify, we talked a little bit about locations for grouse hunting in the state, but do we want to get into specifics? Um, we could start with the dusky grouse and just some of the, where people should be going, the strategy, and maybe even some of the, how that population is doing this year. Sure. Um, so you know, like we talked about, the, the Toyabe certainly are one of those mountain ranges that folks look to um, when they uh, are searching out or seeking out dusky grouse. Um, but there are several others. Uh, the Shoshone Range in central Nevada is a good spot. And then uh, as we get further east, the, the Shell Creek Range and uh, the Egan Range. But, you know, generally at the higher elevations, what you're looking for are kind of these, these limber pines that might be on northern or eastern facing slopes, uh, aspen stands, and uh, kind of these transition to mahogany or uh, mountain, mountain brush communities, which include things like sagebrush and current, uh, service berry, if that's part of the, the mountain range ecosystem there. Uh, berry producing shrubs are really important in the, in the early fall months. And some folks often concentrate on going like into the aspen stand or into the limber pine stand and that's not always necessary especially early in the season folks want to be more out on that that edge that transition between different habitat types so uh, for the for the dusky grouse hunter they really should be focusing on those edges and into those kind of mountain brush openings and if you can, stay on the ridges as much as possible and use the dogs to be able to scent those birds. Um, it isn't really necessary to be out there super early in the morning because a lot of times those birds will still be 
in the trees and depending on how you approach you know hunting those birds um, they might not get a scent when the birds are in the trees but if you stay on the, the ridges uh, and use the wind right they will be able to scent those birds in the trees but then that presents some other challenges because they can be super difficult to find in the trees and flush out of the trees in, in many cases. They, they disappear. You could actually watch a bird fly into a tree and, and think you know exactly where they're at. And I spent 20 minutes to a half an hour looking with binoculars and have not been able to see the grouse in the tree. Yeah, we've been, we've been walking up on, on birds before and had to get out binoculars and the whole thing. You're, I'm just looking straight up trying to find them and, and you gotta get out from under the tree. And it's, I mean, they blend in so well. If it's a super tall uh, fir tree that's really thick, uh, getting them to flush out of one of those, those giant fir trees is almost impossible. Um, you know, a, a limber pine is a little bit different story because uh, oftentimes those are a little bit shorter tree uh, and they will flush out of them, but sometimes it can be really tough to see in, in a limber pine and even aspen until the uh, Till the leaves fall off they can be super tough to see even in an aspen as well yeah and while you were explaining the kind of the different vegetation and where you would look i was looking at the dave's publication uh and he's got a really good example of habitat types and looking out across like where if you were a hunter in the park and you're looking out across the landscape where you would look and, and so anybody that's listening to this podcast make sure you check that publication and you'll be able to kind of see what Sean's explaining. Um, in that. If I can, I just want to build off a little bit what Sean said, uh, especially with mountain shrubs, uh, with the berries. So in, when, when we're looking at diet in September and October, you know, basically crop contents, berries are like king, uh, especially for dusky grouse. It's also for rough grouse, but for dusky grouse. And when, so one of the keys that's improved my dusky grouse hunting in the most in the recent years, especially since I've been doing research, is man those service berry patches that are in the sagebrush that have some sort of tree cover within a hundred yards, let's say. Uh, man, do the early season duskies love to get in in that area there? It can be a little tough shooting because service berry can get over your head and that kind of thing. But um, I've been getting lots of uh, contacts in, in those areas, places that I didn't necessarily hunt very, I didn't target them per se before this research, but as I did the research, I'm like, holy cow, they're, they're really, those broods are really focusing in on those areas. Later in the season, they move out of that stuff and they go up to the high elevation uh, conifer stuff. So, but early season, they're, they're in that kind of thing. So one thing we, we don't have this year, Dave, is is berries in a lot of places. It's been so dry that we don't really have much in the way of currants, service berry, until you get in the extreme northeastern portion of the state. Um, so I'm kind of thinking that these birds are gonna have to key in on, on some water sources to get what available yeah. forbs or insects are left. And so, you know, that might be, make them a little bit more vulnerable uh, this year than in past years is they're going to have to be in more mesic sites to get the resources they need. And, and that's another good point, Sean, is, is springs um, tend to have, especially in dry times, springs tend to have birds that focus in on them 
Um, not, not that it's, it's not necessarily the same birds there the whole time, but as birds move through those areas, they, they can come in on those springs and, and stay there. One of the things we've, we've learned about dusky grouse is they move a lot bigger distances than what we thought they did prior to this research. I'm talking miles between seasonal habitat types. And so um, that, that's been, it's really interesting as a hunter because we may not, we may think of them more like rough grouse where they just have a home range and they stay in it. And that's not dusky grouse. Um, and we are already getting short on time. I feel like we're getting so much good information. So I do want to get to rough grouse, um, just a little bit about hunting for them compared to the dusky. Sure. And, um, you know, really for rough grouse, um, the northeastern portion of the state's likely going to be where folks are going to want to concentrate on just because our populations are larger in the Ruby Mountains, uh, around Merritt Mountain, uh, portions of the Independence Range, really focus on where we have these larger aspen stands. Um, the Santa Rosas certainly have that as well, uh, but our populations are down a little bit in the Santa Rosas compared to where they used to be. Um, we're hoping this year that they have a, a better production year. Um, but really, for those guys, you want to get in amongst the aspen stand and kind of fight your way through it, uh, recognize where the stream course is and where some springs might be within the aspen stand and focus on those types of areas. Um, it can be really super difficult shooting um, but you can get into some more, a little bit more open patches of, of aspen um, and have some success. But it can be, it's pretty fun when you're walking through an aspen stand and you can't see anything, but you, but you hear the bird flush and you know you're in them and you just got to keep at it. Um, but really, the dog is kind of key um, in there, not only for uh, you know, getting a point potentially, but also for a retrieve because some of those aspen sands can be pretty darn thick and the understory can be pretty thick as well. So a dog to find the bird is, is pretty key too. I think, I think you, you want to, um, yeah, you want, you want to be looking for areas that are hard to, hard for you to get through. That's, that's how thick it is. Like if, if you're not crawling through and moving branches and uh, using your hands to get through, you're, you're probably in an area that's too open to be the hardcore rough grouse habitat. Every once in a while, you, you'll get grouse out in the a little bit more open stuff, but usually that's a bird that's either moving between these areas or they're dispersing, they're a young bird that's dispersing for the year. And so uh, those little pockets of really thick stuff is is what the, the rough grouse really depend on. And um, yeah, like, like Sean said, the retrieve sometimes is hard and I often I'll, I'll just stop and listen for the wing beat like that, those last few wing beats that they'll make sometimes when they're wounded, just, just to give them, yeah, just to have a chance to, to get after them once, once you've done that. I think the average is, uh, for every three flushes, you might get a shot and for every three shots, you might get a bird. <laughs> so, uh, I, that, that comes from some stuff back East, but that's kind of stayed true for my western bird hunting so so much good information i hate that we're running out of time and i already am having to bring this to an end but um uh dave can you name your publication again for people i want them to be able to follow along with it while listening and just for anything we weren't able to get into yet 
Um, what is the name of your publication? And again, I'll include a link with this post. Sure. So the it's Forest Grouse in the Fall, Improving Your Forest Grouse Hunting Skills. Awesome. And then Sean, when is the season opener for grouse? We never have said it. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. Uh, so <laughs> September 1st, and it closes December 31st. The daily bag limit is three with the possession limit of nine, and that's in the aggregate. So if you're in a place where there's both dusky grouse and rough grouse, if you get, you know, two rough grouse and one dusky grouse, you've reached your daily limit. Okay. Good. Uh, Sean, what about wing, wing barrels? Have, do people, should people look for those? We do have wing barrels for uh, dusky grouse in the eastern portion of the state uh, around the uh, Shell Creek Range. Uh, and uh, please drop off your wings at any office or, uh, you know, provide your wings to a warden if checked in the field. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. I wish we could talk longer, but. Yeah, this is one of those podcasts we can keep going because we didn't even get to table fair or <laughs> why we on them. I mean, it's. Well, we'll have to get you guys back. <laughs> we'll need yeah. a part two. <laughs> so. Well, thank you guys. Thank you everyone for listening. And that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife. <laughs> <laughs>